your show, and you can take control of the airwaves. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line for you as we launch an hour number one of the program. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. As always, lots to talk about tonight. I know, Mark, you want to get to a couple of different emails. Uh, but first, I think we should update America on the State of the Union. Isn't the president going to give some speech tonight or something like that? I know it's not the State News of the to Union. News to me. Actually, I don't have an update on the State of the Union, but I do have an update on the State of the Department of Homeland Security, which is one of the biggest bureaucracies in the uh, the entire federal government. You know, As you may be aware, they reformed, they reorganized all these uh, CIA and FBI and these government enforcement bureaucracies, and they put them all under the uh, overhang of the Department of Homeland Security. And, of course, everybody looks to these guys as, you know, please keep us safe. Oh, big government, we just want to be safe. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll give you all of our freedoms and liberties. Just keep us safe. When, in fact, we just give them their, our freedoms and liberties, and they don't keep us safe. Right. So how can someone actually keep you safe? Perhaps they can protect you now and then from something bad that might happen, but there's no way to have this uh, amorphous idea of safety. Now, beyond the fact that the head of the Department of Homeland Security himself admitted, I think about a month ago, that the current situation today in America is that we are as vulnerable or more vulnerable to terrorist attack than we were in 2001. So they've already admitted that they haven't really done anything. They, uh, they've already admitted that at least what they have done has been completely ineffective, which, of course, it's a government program. So this is what you should begin to expect from government programs. If, you, you know, if you're new to this show, then you'll, you'll figure it out eventually. Government doesn't work. It doesn't do a very good job at anything that it attempts. And in this particular case, they're taking your liberties. And as you say, Mark, that's about it. Because you're not getting anything in return. You're not getting extra security. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said it best. Mm-hmm. So He that would uh, trade a, um essential liberty for a little bit of security deserves neither and will get neither. Michael Hampton at HomelandStupidity.us breaks it down for us. In the four years since its creation, the Department of Homeland Security has fallen far short of expectations, according to an extensive congressional audit released last week. The Department of Homeland Security, DHS, failed to meet more than half of 171 performance expectations during the department-wide interview. Excuse me, department-wide review conducted from March to July of this year, according to the Government Accountability Office, the GAO. You know, if there's one government bureaucracy that I'm in favor of, that's the one. Yeah, I like them, too. Um, If there was a a GAO t-shirt, I would wear it. The department was created in 2003 to merge 22 separate governmental agencies with the overall mission of preventing and responding to terrorist attacks and natural disasters. The report, broken down by mission and management areas, stated that DHS had made the most progress in maritime security and little to no progress with emergency preparedness and response, science and technology, human capital management, and information technology management. Not coincidentally, these are the areas in which the Department of Homeland Security has had its most publicized failures. Most notably, GAO's chief auditor told Congress that the DHS couldn't take credit for the lack of terrorist attacks since September 11, 2001. 
Quote, I don't think we can take comfort in the fact necessarily that we haven't had another attack. According to the GAO comptroller, David Walker, during congressional testimony, the Homeland Security Secretary, Michael Chertoff, defended the department's progress. He said, but if you ask me, it's the job of keeping us, is the job of keeping us safe done? The answer to that is no. It's not done, and it may not be done within our lifetimes. It won't be done until every American, every person on American soil is locked in a rubber room. Do you understand? There's no way to have safety and security, especially against a group of people that may very well kill themselves in order to cause mm-hmm. destruction and death here in America. You just can't. The, the only thing you can do is give up my secu- my uh, freedoms. Right. The best way to have security is to have total liberty, is to have the freedom to bear arms and the freedom to go about your life as you see fit. And if indeed somebody to try, someone tries to do something crazy that you have maybe even a few seconds to react to, at least at that point, you'll have some sort of weapon on you, and you'll be able to take your fate into your own hands instead of depending on some government bureaucrat somewhere to keep you safe. Chertoff also told Congress the department suffered from too much congressional oversight and that that oversight should be consolidated. Chertoff said the department reports to 86 committees and subcommittees and will be likely spending a total amount of 15,000 work hours this year supporting formal congressional hearings, saying that, moreover, the number of very detailed written reports required of DHS is proliferating at an alarming rate. So now he's saying that it's because they have to report to Congress is why they haven't gotten anything done. Yeah. We're, we just have too much oversight. We need to be able to do whatever we want. Right. Don't pay any attention to us, and we'll get the job done. That's what, that's what he's saying. Arguably, he says, the most important step Congress can take to improve operational effectiveness is to streamline oversight of the DHS, blah de blah Michael Hampton says, I suppose he forgot to mention the department itself is growing at an alarming rate. Is it any wonder that it can't get everything done? Speaking of Chertoff, he's calling for shared sacrifice in the name of security, calling for all Americans to accept minor inconveniences like the real ID card, you know, the national ID card they've been talking about, Mm -hmm. holy border fences and blue-gloved customs agents poking ordinary Americans trying to get home from Canada. Chertoff says he's frustrated by the growing number of people, quote, this is Chertoff, people who say, yes, protect us, but not if it inconveniences me, unquote. In an interview shortly before the sixth anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, he said he considers it to be one of his biggest obligations in the remaining 16 months to, uh, that he has in office to eliminate the not-in-my-backyard attitude when it comes to relatively small costs and inconveniences. He says he'll launch a campaign to spread a message of shared sacrifice Whoa. in as plain English as I can, as often as I can, and in as many places as I can until January of 2009. Shared sacrifice. I'm not really interested in whatever sacrifices Mr. Chertoff wants me to make. Why don't you um, sacrifice first there, buddy? Why don't you go ahead and... In fact, why don't you just sacrifice your life while you're at it? I think that'd be nice. I, I, I don't care whether he, um, you know, whether he lives or dies is fine with me. That doesn't matter. Um, what matters to me is I'm not really interested in giving up my liberties. I don't like the TSA poking around and putting their hands on me and my family. I don't like it when they are going through baby carriages in front of me. I find it very disconcerting. It seems like a total waste to me when they tell people to throw away their water bottles and that kind of thing. This isn't keeping us safe, people. 
It isn't. You know, I've uh, I've been falling way behind on reading chapters of The Market for Liberty. I've been turning it into an audiobook, mm-hmm. and honestly, I, I really need to catch up. But one of the things that I really enjoyed about that book is they address the concept of sacrifice. Uh, because in this country, through, through the government educational system and in popular culture, you'll constantly see references to self-sacrifice and sacrifice as being virtuous, sacrifice as being heroic, uh, sacrifice as being something that should be looked up to and emulated. And that's what Michael Chertoff is saying here, that, well, we just all need to have shared sacrifice. You need to sacrifice some of your freedoms and liberties in order to be uh, for the greater good, for the common good. Sacrifice is held up as, and vaunted, uh, when in fact the uh, market for liberty points out very well that sacrifice is simply a destruction of value. Uh, you take something that you have that is valuable, and then you just destroy it. Uh, no one is, is given anything from that. There's no benefit to be perceived from doing that, except that you're supposed to look good because you're sacrificing something. And it's just, it's not virtuous to sacrifice. It's well, not virtuous at all. Hollywood movies show sacrifice all the time, and it looks good when they do. Uh, you right. know, the, the hero dies while the uh, young girl escapes, or whatever that sort of thing, the, yeah. uh, um, the scenario is that they set up. Sacrifice, it seems to me that sacrifice, part of its definition is um, is something that comes from me, from the inside. Like, I decide to sacrifice. I don't, when you take something from me, that's not sacrifice on my part. Sacrifice is something that that I, you know, it's it's sort of emotionally coming from the inside of me. I choose to sacrifice this. Mm -hmm. But when the Department of Homeland Security set set up the uh, Transportation Security Administration, TSA, well... That wasn't a sacrifice on my part. That's just an inconvenience. Right. That is, um, you're you're taking away a certain amount of my freedoms. You weren't given the choice. I right. mean, yes, you could choose not to fly, but in the event that you need to fly to get from point A to point B, uh, you didn't have the opportunity to say, no, that's okay, I won't be sacrificing that today. Right. 800-259-9231, whether you want to talk about sacrifice, the abysmal Department of Homeland Security, or whatever you want, this is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up anything. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. SACL CAI toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. The features on the site are for free. We've got archives, an entire year's worth of the show, right there on the front page of the website. So download them at your convenience. They're on us. That's freetalklive.com. Now you can save time and money on common legal matters created by top attorneys. LegalZoom.com helps you create reliable documents, legal documents, like setting up a corporation or limited liability company. LegalZoom.com. Use code FTL to save 10%. That's code FTL. That's LegalZoom.com. Just a few more thoughts on the Department of Homeland Security, big old bureaucracy. The Government Accountability Office is saying that... Well, according to the numbers that they've crunched, looks like the Department of Homeland Security has failed to meet more than half of 171 performance expectations during their review. So they just fail over here and fail over there, and guess what's going to happen next year? They're going to get the same budget or bigger than they got last year. Well, the more they fail, the more money they must need, right? They're just not getting the job done. That's how it works. Of course, uh, Department of Homeland officials... 
Uh, Department of Homeland Security officials disagreed strongly with the GAO's conclusion, citing flawed methodology. According to DHS Undersecretary for Management Paul Schneider, the methodology, of course, was to study the legislation, presidential directives, and controlling regulations and determine whether DHS was doing what it was supposed to be doing. In so many areas, it failed to live up to that simple criterion. Maybe we're safer now than before 9-11, as Chertoff repeatedly says, but I doubt it. Homeland Security's become yet another pork barrel bonanza for government contractors, state and local governments, and well-connected insiders who get hundreds of billions of dollars for new toys we just don't need. And with Homeland Security's track record, we'd likely get much better security just by buying every American a rifle and sidearm and training. Come to think of it, that would save hundreds of billions of dollars, too. Well, um, my understanding is that there's, uh, for every ten Americans, there's nine handguns in the United States, so I don't think we need to buy any. Yeah, just get them to, to train them on them. Yeah. Now, of course, not that he's not being serious when he's advocating that. Um, he's just pointing out that that'd be more effective than anything that the Department of Homeland Security is doing. I would agree. Because you shouldn't force people to learn firearms. If you don't have an interest in them, then you shouldn't be forced to learn them. That's, you know, a lot of people will say, well, we should mandate that everybody has guns instead of preventing people from having guns. We should do the other, you know, the reverse and mandate it. No, 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 no. That's anti-freedom as well. You let people decide for themselves how to defend themselves. Some people, don't, you know, they don't like guns at all. Some people would rather use... Uh, a ninja sword. Yeah, well, I mean, hand-to-hand combat, that sort of thing. So Some people... Would just rather lose. Some people are pacifists. Yeah. They don't uh, They don't believe in fighting, period. 1-800-259-9231, the SACL-CAI toll-free line. Now, I actually came across something interesting here, and I don't know if we're going to have time to do it. I, it's just so good, but it's so long, I'm trying to see if I can chop it down. I have some uh, some updated information on Somalia. So many times people will say, well... Where can you give a point to an example of a place where there's no government? And I reluctantly usually will say, well, Somalia. Of course, it's not exactly the shining beacon on a on a hill that you want to point to as far as, I mean, it's not a very pretty place. No. Uh, but nonetheless, there have been some interesting developments there, and hopefully we'll be able to get, the, uh, get to that tonight. But in the meantime, I think we should go to Mark's email box. You had at least two different emails, one about, I think, religious freedom, mm-hmm. the other about fiat currency. So pick one and let's go with it. Well, let's go with the uh, religious freedom one. All right. What's all this about? Because we had an old lady call in earlier this week talking about how uh, she wanted to use her religious freedom to not stand up in court, but apparently that wasn't allowed, and she got thrown in jail for it. Fifteen days, I believe, and it was yeah. sometime back in the 80s. She was 65 at the time. Right. She was 80-something um, to now. Anyway, this comes from Dennis. Mark, I just heard the 910 podcast in which an amazingly brave and wonderful lady named Joe called in from Texas. She related a story of how she and several other activists spent two weeks in jail for simply failing to stand for the judge. Now, the sitting seven, as they were called. Yes, that's right. Um, they, it was difficult to know whether or not it was 15 days or 30 days. She kind of had both in, in the story there. But it, either way, 15 days in jail stinks. Mm-hmm. The conversation, and there was no trial for it either. They just were yep, sent to a jail. It was contempt so. of court because right. they didn't stand. The conversation was brilliant, but unfortunately I fear that Ian's rabid atheism led to uh, him to overlook an important comment that Joe made. She was refusing to stand on religious grounds. Maybe that uh, may seem irrelevant detail to Ian at the time, but terms of what remains um, in our Constitution is everything. In fact, the issue of what things are protected by religion is very much in play at this very moment. Wikipedia sums it up best in the article about religious, the Re- Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RFRA. 
I've cut the article down to the bare-bone basics, and it mentions drugs, so I hope you'll read it. The uh, free exercise... You must think that you're a drug addict, Ian. I'm not a drug addict. <laughs> I don't know why you would think that. <laughs> the free exercise clause of the uh, First Amendment states that Congress shall not pass laws prohibiting the free exercise of religion. But in the 1980s, the court began allowing bans on religious activities as long as they affected all religions equally. In the key case, the court upheld the state's refusal to give unemployment benefits to two Native Americans fired from their jobs at a rehab clinic after testing positive for mescaline, the main psychoactive compound in the peyote uh, cactus, which they used in a religious ceremony. In response, both liberal and conservative groups joined forces to support RFRA, which would overturn laws if religious exercises substantially burdened by them. And I'm not exactly sure I understand what that means, unless the law is the least restrictive means of furthering a compelling state interest. The act was signed into law by the U.S. US President Bill Clinton. So, so far, so good, right? Under the uh, new law, you could do pretty much anything you like on religious grounds, even take drugs, as long as you're not killing, stealing, or plotting to overthrow the government. But then it went sour. In 1997, this act was overturned by the United States Supreme Court because it overstepped Congress's power. Damn, can you believe the brazenness of those Supremes? But guess what? There's a new hope. Continuing with the article. However, a number of states have passed so-called mini-RFRAs, applying the rule to the laws of their own state. This interpretation was confirmed on February 21, 2006, as the Supreme Court ruled unanimously against the government in a case which involved the use of an illegal substance in a religious ceremony, decisively stating that the federal government must show a compelling state interest in restricting religious freedoms. Guess what? One of the NHLA... Well, the state interest would be it's sending a bad message. Yes. One of the uh, NHLA A-rated reps is going to introduce a Religious Freedom Restoration Act in New Hampshire legislature in 2008. And as long as the people who lobby in favor of it don't carp out on the drugs aspect and instead focus on the religious freedom aspect, it has a damn good chance of passing into law in this state. Maybe Joe and her fellow faithful should start thinking about relocating to New Hampshire. So all they'll have to do is claim that they have a compelling state interest and they'll still be able to throw you in a jail cell, right? Uh, I That's guess. as I understand what, what was just written. Uh, th- that I guess so. So, therefore, you couldn't, uh, for instance, not pay taxes based on uh, religious freedom excuse because the state will claim it has an interest in collecting those taxes. Uh, you probably couldn't get away with smoking marijuana because the state will say it has an interest in promoting a healthy drug lifestyle. I think uh, healthy you could lifestyle. get away with uh, smoking marijuana, um, but the, the state would have to prove its interest in a, in a court of law first before you could be charged with anything else. Well, the state's running a war on drugs to try to, to try to keep kids away from drugs, and the fact that now all you have to do is claim to be a Rastafarian in order to uh, smoke marijuana, all the kids are just going to go and claim to be Rastafarians, and then how's the state going to be able to control drugs anymore? The state has to control drugs. I don't see this as being a real great sta- uh, step in the right direction. I mean, maybe it's, symbol- it's symbolic, but you're up against the drug warriors, man, and they're not going to let their little monopoly go anytime soon they they like being able to control drugs and having people being able to take and distribute drugs simply because they claim to be part of a religion the cops are not going to let this one slide by more on the way this is free talk live you take control and bring up anything George Phillies is the right candidate for president, a serious, well-educated candidate who stands for the basic principles of liberty and the basic principles of this nation. Paid for by Phillies 2008. This is George Phillies, libertarian for president. I approved of this message.
This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up whatever you want. The toll-free number, 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online, freetalklive.com. The Shrine of Female listeners is there. Dozens of ladies have sent us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. See what I mean by heading over to shrine.freetalklive.com, shrine.freetalklive.com. The Republican Liberty Caucus welcomes new members in the pursuit of individual rights, limited government, and free enterprise principles, all within the GOP. Visit rlc.org and click join us today. We'll find liberty together. That's rlc.org. Let's go to the phones, to the phone, talk to Mike in Connecticut. Mike, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Mike. Okay. I was just uh, calling and talk about the standing up in court. Yes, sir. I think I've read uh, Supreme Court cases on that. I don't think it's quite, I don't think that's a, uh, a crime not to stand up in court. Well, uh, a lot of judges, uh, they get very upset. Uh, they are wearing a robe, and they think they're very special. They think they're very special people, and they yeah. don't. It's their courtroom, as they claim, and uh, they don't like to be disrespected. And so, apparently, I mean, we're we're obviously going by what Joe said. I mean, she sounded like a a nice old oh, no, lady. I, I believe she got charged. I'm not saying she didn't get charged, but I, right. I think it's I think it's a constitutional issue. It's in fact, it's not even. I don't think it's a law. I mean, I wonder what she was charged with. She was charged with um, contempt of court. Contempt. And apparently there wasn't even a trial for it either. Right. If you're a spectator, why, why, how would you get contempt of court? The, again, the judge, uh, you know, he's in control. The bailiffs will follow his every order. So it was just a matter of the judge saying, you know, take those people to jail. And that's what they did. Uh-huh. And, and, of course, I think she actually pointed out that you can't fight these people. I mean, if you're right. just the average American, you can't afford to hire a lawyer and go and... Or, or and, if you didn't know how to defend yourself. But, right, you, can't, you um, can't go and sue the government over these things because, A, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, B, you know, you're playing ball in their system where they have an unlimited taxpayer-funded, uh, essentially, ba- bales and bales of money to pull money from and, and keep fighting you. So, you know, what can you do in that particular case? Well, I mean, I know people who go to court over uh, parking violations and, you know, make the city lawyers spend $350 an hour to fight you. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's good. And you should, I think you should challenge it, the system as much as you possibly can. I, I absolutely think that you should, but I also understand the perspective that, eh, you know, what can you really do in the scheme of things? I mean, is the ACLU really going to get behind you on this? I don't know. No, they're, they're, they're there to neutralize things, but... Uh, I think uh, disobeying an order from a judge would be contempt of court, but not from a, a bailiff or somebody who's a security officer, basically. I think probably if we talk to somebody who's maybe actually in the system, they might know a little bit more, because at this point we're just speculating. But, right. Mike, any other thoughts? Uh, no, I just, I just, I know I read cases on that, because I actually uh, was looking into that stuff. Cause well, we've done I it. I yelled I mean... and screamed at one of those people telling me to stand up. <laughs> I have been uh, in a courtroom and not stood for a judge, and nobody said anything, except for the woman who was in front of us, and she was one of the lawyers. She says, you have to stand up. Yeah. And we didn't, and everything was fine. Well, so it's almost like a religious ceremony, basically, you know. Yeah, well, they, the judges are definitely worshipped to some extent. They're, they're by the God, and you have to stand before them, otherwise. You know. Right, and I refuse to do that. Mike, thanks for the call. All Appreciate right. hearing from you. Now, uh, on the other hand, I suppose there is a possibility that a judge could be worth standing for, in which case... I wouldn't have a problem with it, but I think in general, um, I don't really have much respect for judges, just like I don't have much respect for the whole system, so why should I show any? 
1-800-259-9231. Let's talk to Jeff in Missouri. Jeff, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Uh, thank you for taking my call this evening. What's on your mind, Jeff? Uh, all these 9-11 nuts. Okay. They always want to blame Jews or the government, but never the Muslims. I don't understand. These 9-11 truthers and the extreme people, they always want to blame everyone but the Muslims. So uh, uh, against Muslims? Mus- radical Muslims. Oh, okay. They don't want to blame them. They want to blame everyone else. Well, I think that that would, uh, if they if they did blame the uh, the radical Muslims, um, if if they went with the story that we've been given, which is that Osama bin Laden was in charge of, uh, you know, seventeen or whatever, uh, thirteen bombers that uh, you know got on planes and flew. Well, them no, it's buildings. not like they didn't. It's not like they rode a conquest through the Middle East in six thirty A.D. Oh no, it's not like they didn't do that. Are you really saying that um, all that that you know? Radical Muslims today are bad because there's something happened um, over, over conquest well, no, in 658. Like peop- what I'm trying to say is, it's like the people that uh, are saying that the government did 9/11. It's like, like the Muslims didn't do any of it. Okay, well, I I'm just like, or like they always point to the Christian Crusades and all this other stuff, but they never point out to the before, like the Muslim conquest happened before the Crusades in 630 A.D. Sure, it absolutely did. And uh, I think that all religions can probably, at least the religions I'm familiar with, the ones in the West are um, the the ones that are derived from the uh, sort of messianic tradition with the, the Jews and that kind of thing. Um, they all have their goods and bads as far as what they've done in their histories. Yeah, they all should be subject to critique, no doubt about that. And I, I know, it's just like, I mean, I've done my own looking into this stuff. And how all these people are saying, like, fire can't melt steel uh-huh. at a certain degree. Well, they didn't take into account uh, the the fire was burning for several hours and not to mention the couple tons of debris on top of that. You know, we were actually being interviewed today, Mark, and you made a point that I liked, and that was that we could sit here and do our own research in order to counteract all of the points that these uh, conspiracy people make, but really, that's not even worth our time. And I honestly, I have looked at some of it just because it's interesting to me, but knowing, being a compendium of counter-arguments for the conspiracy theorists is also something that I don't relish. I like the idea of moving forward, moving ahead, talking about liberty, talking about freedom, discussing the issues, and and thank you for the call, Jeff. We appreciate hearing from you. So I don't exist to rebut the conspiracy theorists as far as their point-by-point basis. I don't care about the steel and the temperatures and the thermite and the building seven and the explosions and on and on and so forth. And therefore, uh, I don't care about all that. I care about promoting liberty and freedom and talking about issues. And some of our listeners are um, do believe that the uh, towers were brought down by the government, and they still Amplify the program. It just goes to show that uh, Free Talk Live is a great venue for putting forth the ideas of liberty, and it, that we don't have to agree on every point. You know, speaking of awful courtroom stories from Heverhill, New Hampshire, a former Ashland man clearing cleared of assaulting a police officer while trying to rush his pregnant fiancé to the hospital is now being sent to jail by a judge. This is according to Boston.com. A jury deliberated about 15 minutes last month before acquitting Nathaniel Gibbs, who's 25, after a four-day trial. Okay, the jury acquitted Nathaniel Gibbs. Correct. But Monday, Grafton Grafton County Superior Court Judge Gene Burling nullified the jury's verdict, ordering Gibbs to serve a suspended sentence from a previous drug conviction. She said, I don't know how the jury made its decision. This is my own, based on this, uh, the testimony I heard. 
Burling said she found uh, Burling she found by a preponderance of evidence that Gibbs assaulted an officer and disobeyed an officer actions that violated the good behavior requirements of the previous suspended sentence. The jury must determine guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. So um, she kind of got managed to sentence the guy on a technicality. Right. I called uh, Judge Burling's office. Really? Yeah. And um, I wanted to comment. And the, uh, you know, the, the, the bureaucrat in charge of the uh, judge's office, we don't make comments on judges' rulings. We don't have to. You're our servant, not the other way around, citizen. Hmm. You know, that's essentially what they said. Um, and nice. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that was the that was the feeling that I got. We just we don't comment. That was the um, only statement that I got from the bureaucrat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it looks like the judge managed to slide through on a technicality here. Uh, the gentleman, what was his name? Mr. Gibbs. Gibbs had a suspended sentence from a previous charge. Right. So she didn't actually nullify what the jury said. She just punished him for violating his suspended sentence. The jury found him not guilty. He was not guilty. But she said that his actions um, were not congruous with his um, suspended sentence, the requirements of a suspended sentence from a previous conviction. So... I've got to say, Mr. Gibbs should have kept his butt out of trouble, and unfortunately, um, I, 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 I don't agree with the judge, but she did what, in, in this case, she did something that she could do, and she did it. And I, I don't agree with it, but uh, Mr. Gibbs got himself in trouble previously, and if you don't get yourself in trouble... You won't have to deal with these people. Well, it does look, though, like they were harassing him to some extent. Uh, he, he, they were just trying to get his wife to the hospital. Right. He just wanted to get the hospital to get his fiance. Uh, you know, he was probably baby. frustrated. I imagine yeah. his wife was in a bit of a state at that point. And you point. always heard that the cops would help you get to the hospital yeah. when you had a pregnant lady. Exactly. Now. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind via the toll-free number. 800-259-9231 is the SACL CAI toll-free line for you, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 800-259-9231. You can support the show. Well, not really. You can support Mark, because you're selling something, Mark. Oh, yeah. And I don't even get a cut of this. So I am being very charitable here. Uh, Okay. Allowing you to promote your uh, sale on my show. Just go to auction.freetalklive.com. I'm uh, selling my uh, Treo 600, and, you know, I thought I'd use the show to do it. Ian sells his house. Why not try the Treo? Auction.freetalklive.com. What is a Treo? A Treo is like a a Blackberry, Raspberry thing. It's a little... I guess if you knew what it was, you'd go and bid on it. If you don't know, then that's it, right? It's a cell phone, uh, handheld computer. You can check your email and all that other stuff. And they can read, uh, look at all your contacts and stuff, right? And that's all still in there. I'm afraid I've already... uh, Oh, you sneaky, sneaky man. All right, auction.freetalklive.com, bid on Mark's phone. Let's go to the phones and talk to, I believe it's, yes, Michael in Texas, listening on KTAE. Hello, Michael. Hey, how you guys doing? Doing Good. great. What's on your mind? Yeah, I was just wondering why you think uh, governments, uh, they uh, try to keep plants from uh, people. You mean marijuana, for instance? And, you know, magic mushrooms and, and stuff that makes you get in contact with, with, with the creator. Well, you know, it's an excellent question. Why do they do it? Um, I mean, I'd like to ask you why you think here in a moment, but there are several reasons. Um, some of them may actually be drug warriors who believe that uh, who, who believe that certain substances are inherently wrong or immoral, and therefore they believe that they it's okay to use force on people in order to stop them from putting those substances in their bodies. Uh, there are, of course, those who understand that by prohibiting substances and services that goes to the underground, it goes to the black market, and they would like to enrich themselves 
themselves by operating in a black market capacity, like corrupt police officers and that sort of thing. Um, but as far as the reasons why the drug war started, uh, originally it had to do with uh, William Randolph Hearst and some other big business guys in, this, in the uh, early part of the 20th century that basically they didn't like the fact that hemp, uh, for instance, at least in the, in the case of marijuana, that hemp uh, could be used as all kinds of different things like products uh, to make paper. You could make paper out of hemp uh, as, as well as a variety of other things. And so they wanted to outlaw that and they sort of tacked on this whole, well, it makes you crazy and uh, it'll make white white girls date black men and that sort of thing and uh, so those were the original reasons but what do you think the reason is well i'm just i'm just not sure why they would keep away uh natural so i mean we have other stuff that uh alters your consciousness say for instance coffee and sugar and uh other plants that uh alcohol alcohol you know and uh i'm wondering why it's more enforced on marijuana and uh, these other kind of substances that you might use in a religious uh, situation. I think that I think that you know one of the ways you could look at it is I think there are some people in government that they don't like the idea that people might have their mind expanded a little bit. I think that I think that. You know, for every person that uses drugs that maybe goes in the wrong direction, there are people that are still going in positive directions that are very responsible drug users. If not, I think they're far more responsible drug users than there are irresponsible ones, but I have nothing to back that up except my own personal life experience. And I think that um, my personal use of drugs has definitely um, been a benefit to my life as far as my mindset and things that, uh, you know, just my viewpoint and that sort of thing. And uh, maybe they just want people to be all, all alike or something I, like that. I think that. marijuana's largely harmless, but I'd say that there's other drugs that are very harmful. Oh, definitely. I mean, opium and heroin coming in right now from Afghanistan and, uh, you know... We, we we know some of these families been trading opium since way back, and uh, I myself I'm a Rastafarian, so mm-hmm. I use uh, the substance marijuana to get in, in tune with the Creator and and keep me in in a natural timing because uh, I feel like the frequency of uh, the nine to five rat race is what makes everybody go insane. Get on Prozac, all I need to do is light up my bone rips. I'm good to go. I'm I'm with you on that one, Michael, and uh, thank you for the call. We appreciate it and hope to hear from you again. 800-259-9231, the Sickle CAI toll-free line. If you want to share your answer to Michael's question, why is it that these products are prohibited? Why is it? Is there some sort of conspiracy to prevent people from doping up? Or is it also maybe they want people to get high? Maybe they want people to take drugs. That could be the other side of the conspiracy coin. You know, maybe the government people want you to get on drugs and get hooked so you'll ruin your life or and just be uh, not be a threat to them well i'm not sure that uh you know i'm not sure that it's it's great for your life to go out and uh, do bong rips or whatever michael was suggesting I, i'm not sure that's a good thing but i do know that i've done plenty of bong rips in my time let me tell you it, what exactly is a bong rip well it's a, a sort of colloquial term for smoking a marijuana bong yeah kind of what i figured um, yeah, I, and I've done a few bong rips myself, <laughs> but um, I, I'm, I think the drugs, any kind of, you know, what, what is colloquially, or what, what we call drugs here in the United States, even though it's plants in some cases, um, I, I think that they're road bumps on the, or they're speed bumps on the road to success. I think that you can do better if you don't do drugs, you don't do alcohol, you don't do these well, things. you can do better if you don't watch TV as well. I mean, absolutely there's all true. kinds of things that'll suck away your time and your money. Absolutely true. I just don't think that it's a great idea for us to throw people like Michael in jail for it. And he seems to believe, um, 
that somehow he's getting in touch with God by uh, smoking pot. Maybe that's so, maybe it's not, but who am I to say that he's not? Well, I can say that some people that have definitely taken more hardcore substances have claimed to have talked to God and that sort of thing. I don't believe in God. I, I'm an atheist, personally. But there's no doubt that some people have some very powerful, very uh, spiritual experiences on, on, on many drugs. And it's all open to speculation as to why they want to stop people from using these things. And I think there are a, a variety of different reasons. And I think we've touched on, uh, on some of them. I think people, some people just like to control others. I think there's also another fun factor aspect. I think some people are jealous of drug users, and they feel like they wish they could be a part of that culture, uh, but they can't be for whatever reason, and so they're jealous, and so they want to stop them from having their fun. Oh, it's okay. You can have the alcohol brand of fun, but you can't have the marijuana brand of fun. Uh, it's it's very strange. I think I've um I think I've experienced the fun police attitude in myself. I generally, you know, when I when I see young men, for some reason I'm ag- aggressive towards them. And when I see them on the street and stuff, I'm just like, Grr. like the gangster men, or what? just like, in general, just young guys. Grr, I know more than you. I've, I'm I'm a male, and mm-hmm. and I've been through it, kind of thing. So I, I, I don't know that I wish that I were like those guys, but I do, I I do resent their fun in some ways. Yeah. So yeah. I don't I don't know that I wish that I was like them, but I resent their fun. Right, so it's that attitude times ten to where you're willing to actually physically prevent them from having the fun they want to have, and indeed throw them in a jail cell and potentially ruin the rest of their lives. Right, I'm uh, not willing to spend any of my money on uh, putting them in jail, and I'm certainly not willing to force someone else to spend their money on putting them in jail. Right, so I think there are a variety of reasons why drugs were made illegal, and one of the I think there are powerful reasons why drugs remain illegal, and that is uh, one of the more powerful reasons is because it's a huge government program. They don't want the drug war to go anywhere. They don't want to legalize marijuana, even though they probably all know it's pretty much harmless. They don't want to legalize marijuana because that's where the drug war is at. Right. It really is. Um, Most of the arrests on drugs are marijuana arrests, and most of the marijuana arrests are possession arrests. That's right. And so the rest of the arrests are all the other half of the arrests. I think it's like 1.5 million arrests per year in America now. For about drugs in general. Yeah. And about 750,000 over that is, like is for marijuana. And the rest of it, the other 750,000, is all of the other drugs combined. Mm-hmm. So it really is a war on marijuana. And if you were to just legalize marijuana, then the budget, you know, the drug enforcement budgets could theoretically be cut. And that would be very upsetting to DEA agents. Even if you were to... Um make it legal to have an ounce of marijuana that would kill the drug war because so much of their money comes from just you know fine large fines for possession charges right those 750,000 people aren't high level dealers no they're the 750,000 people 98% of them are people that got busted with a joint in their ashtray or they got caught with an eighth no, at school no not 98% it's it's a lower number than that but it's it's a lot of them. Well, the, even the dealers they percentage. bust aren't big-time dealers, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dealers they bust are you can selling have, an ounce here and there. Or you can have, uh, you know, a, you could have an ounce of uh, marijuana, but you had it in four different bags. You'd be in big trouble. It would That's look an like, instant dealing charge. Right. Right. You could have the the same ounce that I could have, where I would just get a possession charge, but because it was in four separate bags, that stealing. Right. And a lot of the uh, the big time dealers will never be caught. They're way too uh, they're way too cautious, they're way too careful. It's their business to be a big time marijuana dealer and you know the serious uh drug dealers in America, uh they they've actually they work with the DEA. Some of them do. 
Well, they um, gangsters have always uh, had cops on the inside. I mean, yeah. that's not nothing new. It, it happened in the twenties with the uh, out with alcohol, and it's happening now. So, did we miss anything? Did we miss any speculation on why it is that uh, drugs were made illegal? Why it is people, certain people in America, don't want others to do drugs, specific drugs? Because, as he pointed out, coffee, you know, caffeine, alcohol, these things are all legal. So, why is it the other ones aren't? 800-259-9231. This is your show. Hour number two is on the way. We'll talk Somalia. We'll talk to Josh, Nakaya, and James, and your calls as well, especially ladies. If you call in, you come first. This is Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever you want. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. It's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are for free, so enjoy those on us. We'll start things out by going right to the phones. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk about Somalia here in a few moments. Uh, but first, to Josh in Texas on the Amplifier line. Hello, Josh. Hey, uh, hello. Talk more about uh, public school and the teachers uh, seem more brainwashed than the kids now. What uh, what is what is your experience been? Um, one of uh, the students asked uh, why the Japanese were uh, put into camps in World War II, mm-hmm. and uh, our teacher responded with that they were uh, helping the Japanese because they were getting beat up by people. <coughs> wow. Yeah. That wonder, is stunning. I wonder ignorance. if that's why they had guards with guns on the outside. To keep well, the people pointing, that wanted to beat them up from outside, get them. Pointing towards them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What did you, I mean, did you say anything at that point, or I mean, what happened? Oh, I, uh, I said that, that, wasn't, that wasn't right, and that it's not true. Were you rebutted, or and, what? And, uh, well, he, he just said that it's, it was, it's a, Still a debated issue. A debated issue? Oh, well, we'll have yeah. to agree to disagree. Let's move on, class. Wouldn't want you to, uh, to actually think that I might be wrong about something. Amazing. Any other yeah. thoughts, Josh? That's it. Thanks for the story, dude. We appreciate it. Can you believe that, Mark? That's nuts. Okay, let's recap. For anybody that doesn't know, in the 19... Was it 1940s or yeah. the or late 30s? No, 40s. Okay, they went around and they rounded up... Japanese Americans, and they used U.S. Census data to determine who was Japanese and who wasn't. And they went around, they rounded them up, and they put them into internment camps, much like the Germans were putting Jewish people into camps, except the Germans were gassing them, and they didn't actually gas any of the the Japanese people. Right. Um, But nonetheless, that doesn't make it really that much less horrific what they did. They, They took people from their productive lives as good Americans who were working and raising families and completely harmless individuals. They plucked them out of their homes and their jobs and their lives, and, and they separated families in many cases. And, and they, they all lost, as you can imagine, if you're locked up in an internment camp for two or three or four years. Hard to pay the mortgage. Your house is gone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's essentially somebody's going to be living in it when you get back. Right. So to suggest that that was helpful to them at all is, I, I don't know what to call that, Mark. I don't know to call that, um, 
just out and out lying? The the words misinformation. That, the words that I come up with, I can't be used on the radio. A person that would say that is just awful. It's like saying that we were protecting the black people by keeping them slaves. Yeah, that is like saying that. Despicable. That's a good word. Despicable. Yeah, I'm. You know, it's like. This is what your kids are being taught in government school. Josh, who just called in, goes to a government school in Texas. And there's wonder, no reason to believe that any other government school is uh, giving out any better information. I wonder if um, the same teacher thinks that uh, a rapist is doing a woman in f- a favor when he uh, you know, impreg- impregnates her from raping her. He's doing her a favor. We're, we're you know, fostering the human race and uh, oh, giving this poor woman who didn't have a baby a baby. One eight hundred. I mean, what a sick, weird thing yeah, to say. It is sick. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. And if Josh weren't sitting in that class that particular day, you know this teacher. It, they've got the different periods throughout the day. He's probably giving the same lesson plan to seven different classes of kids. Hmm. So Josh happened to be sitting in that one class, so he could make a counterclaim. But I doubt there's a Josh in every other class during the day. I'm looking through the Wikipedia article, and there's no mention whatsoever of it. Uh, you know being a a good thing. <laughs> Just a ludicrous claim. Uh, all right, let's continue with the phone calls. You can bring up what you want. James in Kentucky, you're on Free Talk Live, James. Hello. Hello? James. Hey there, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Hey, guys, how's it going? Good. What's up? First time caller. Uh, Congrats. I, uh, I'm, I usually listen to you guys at work, and uh, I can't call in usually, mm-hmm. but uh, I heard a caller at the end of last hour that said something that really made me want to Rest the boss coming in and catching me on the phone. Okay. So I decided to go ahead and call in. I, um, I guess to start off, what you guys uh, ended on last hour with the uh, marijuana and the legality and why is it illegal and stuff kind of brings me to the point I wanted to make. Is it sounds like a lot of the guy, a lot of the issues you guys talk about, um, from my perspective, can be construed as a conspiracy theory, I guess. You guys are saying that why is pot illegal and it shouldn't be? What's the history of, you know, pot being uh, made illegal and so mm-hmm. forth? Mm-hmm. That sounds to me like... It's conspiracy-ish. Conspiracy-ish, because okay. I guess the literal definition of conspiracy is two or more people plotting in secret. Oh, uh, there were definitely there was there was definitely some plotting going on, and there's that, documentation that you time. Can, you can search yeah, the internet. Yeah, I completely un- I completely understand. I'm totally mm-hmm. with you guys on that. But the person that made me want to call in was the man that called in about September 11th and lumping in the people um, that believe that, are that looking it at, wasn't necessarily at, the radical um, Islamists. Right. Um, how people that ordinarily wouldn't be considered or think of themselves as conspiracy theorists, you know, i.e. lizard men or, uh, you know, aliens or... Mm-hmm. But I, I really just don't think it's fair, and I'm trying to understand your logic as... Wait, what's not fair? Why, I'm, uh, I'm trying to understand why, when it comes to September 11th, why people that are trying to find out the details of what really happened, because we don't trust the government exactly... Like uh, you guys talk about about other issues as far as the government being uh, corrupt and so forth. Why does that make uh, honest people that are looking for answers to the questions that the government doesn't give? Why is that a conspiracy theory? But um, thinking that the government 
make uh, marijuana illegal so that they can, you know, make a lot well, of money. Well, one's a theory and one's not. Right. Two reasons. Um, first off, when it comes to marijuana, we can show documentation on, on the Internet. It's just it's rife with documentation on why, why Ameri- uh, marijuana became illegal. But let's just address um, the conspiracy theory of uh, 9-11 truth specifically. Um, it, it seems to me that the truthers, the moment it happened, the government did this. And then they collected, you know, they decided the government did this, and then they collected data to see why. And then, you know, they, they've got some good questions. I'm not saying that they don't have some good questions. Mm-hmm. But they drew a conclusion, and then they collected data around that conclusion. And that's mm-hmm. not the way that you prove a theory. You right. ask the questions, and then you can um, prove the outcome. Secondly, when we do find out the outcome, um, it, and I... For, on my first point, I think that these are the same people that were um, highly concerned about what was going on in Roswell, Texas, what was going on in uh, Hangar 89 or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. what went on with Kennedy. I think that that's just sort of a hobby of theirs. Right. Okay? Um, and secondly, when there is no end game, really, to the conspiracy theory of 9-11 truth, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. what are we going to do when we find out what really happened? If we, if that ever happens. If that could ever possibly happen i mean you know we're 30 if george bush comes year- out tonight on his speech and uh, admits everything we're 40 uh-huh. yeah we're 40 years away from uh, the kennedy assassination nothing ever happened with that nothing is ever going to Did happen somebody with reveal that. something on a deathbed with the kennedy thing uh, there's there's all kinds of things get yes, revealed that was actually edward uh hunt um who or e howard on i'm sorry um made a deathbed confession i guess that's the real cia agent that uh Ethan Hunt from uh, Mission Impossible series, I guess that's who that character was based on, mm-hmm. was E. Howard Hunt. And what's happened as a result? Has anybody gone to jail? Has the uh, uh, w- the, the with, Grand Cabal been broken apart? Has the CIA brought itself up on charges? Well, uh, I guess it really depends on who you want to listen to. I mean, you have some CIA agents who say that, are we talking about the Kennedy assassination yeah, now? Or? Sure. Yeah, we're talking about um, Kennedy, yeah. Uh, I know there was a general that wrote a book. I know there was police, a police sniper that wrote a book. Books, and books, CIA. that's great. I mean, so books, there's all books. kinds of books. Yeah. Nothing's ever, nothing's ever going to happen with 9-11. I can well, look to the end of this, and there is no end game. That's, what, right. that's the reason that so we the, just... So once again, you're, the difference... You're, in, you're saying they, like, to lump in all the conspiracy theorists, but personally, I had no reason to doubt the government story about what happened until I saw... Answer, or questions on the internet. Great. And hey, good and for so you. Forth. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can bring up whatever you want. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 800-259-9231. Join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The bulletin board system is there. We've got over a quarter of a million posts for you to surf around through. Serious issues and fun stuff. You'll find it all, and it's all for free. bbs.freetalklive.com. Get you to it. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. SACL CAI has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows that the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful, they record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy so that your business is handled as efficiently as possible. 
See their banner at freetalklive.com or call 800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. All right, so we actually still have James on the line in Kentucky. Uh, He was making a point right before we went away there for a moment. And James, you were saying that you aren't an original conspiracy theorist uh, because, Mark, you were saying that a lot of the conspiracy people, they see the event of 9-11 and they come up with a story in their head, and that is, the government did it. And then they try to find information that they can use to to prove themselves right. Mm -hmm. Um, And you were saying you weren't one of those people. You were just somebody who stumbled across something online one day, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, I'm not going to get into that because I, I know what you guys have to say about that. When well, what I can say, though, is that, uh, is that the, the stuff you see is, seems very persuasive on its face. Uh, I've seen just the like videos. the government story. Sure, sure. They all, it all seems very persuasive. And it's just that, you know, it seems to me to be a, just a tremendous waste of time. In fact, I, I like the conspiracy theory that says that the conspiracy theories are just simply uh, diversions for people that otherwise would be, you know, on the trail of the government and working to uh, to stop the government from doing the things it's currently doing today, to cut it down to size, to divert them into just doing a bunch of research about pointless facts about 9-11 and, you know, what the truth was, or, you know, fill in your favorite uh, conspiracy theory du jour mm-hmm. here. So, the, right. you know, the theory that the theories exist to simply distract people. Okay, well, here's here's really basically what made me call in. What you're, what you're saying is, um, it's really not worth the time. We should move on and focus on freedom and liberty. But my point is September 11th gave the government free reign to do what everyone is up in arms about for the past six years. So where did all these supposedly unconstitutional powers originate from? Or Why are they doing them? Why does why do people pretty much hate Bush now and the administration? Whether it's you know I, I really don't think that Bush brought down the towers you know per se, but, but the the 9/11 the event it, the event itself catapulted our country and the world into a perpetual war on terrorism. That's a certainly true. Uh, surveillance uh, society, um, you know more. Uh, rapidly approaching a police state. Right. So, so why don't we talk so about forth. those things instead of 9/11? Right. And those the, things right. are in fact truth. Um, 9/11 right. occurred, and you know, the United States went into lockdown and right. started the Department of Homeland Security and all kinds of other nonsense, and is uh, you know spending more money than we've ever spent before. Right. We don't right. have to so, know if uh, fire can melt steel in order to talk about those things. Uh, yeah. That's. Uh, I, I mean. I can understand you can get off on a tangent and look at uh, easily uh, debatable details, but the big picture is that was the catastrophic event, the new Pearl Harbor, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that uh, um, gave the administration or the government uh, as, a, as a whole or in part um, it gave the them the excuse. Their, the authority in their no, the eyes. event itself didn't give them authority. They just went ahead and grabbed more power. It was their right. excuse. They already wanted it in the first place, but sure. it just gave them a huge boost. So my point is, conspiracy theory to me is, uh, you know, is, these, is this group of people uh, really aliens or is Elvis still alive? It really um, kind of gets under my skin that they're marginalize the people that are actually doing like legitimate historical documented research which i've actually done in my spare time 
for the past couple of years since I, you know, first came across some things that made me so it upsets you. I, it it upsets you that people aren't respecting the the research that you're doing. Is that what you're saying? Well, uh, I mean, I I'm not saying that I'm doing all this research and I'm finding out all these things. It's people that come before me and that pretty much make a living with, uh, I guess, their research and documentation. And, well, and if they're so making forth. a living off of it, then it sounds like they're getting enough respect in order to make a living. So, right. what exactly do you there's, want? There's a lot of um, respectable people that do respectable work that is not quote unquote conspiracy theorist type thing, I guess, in the sense right. that people That's that fine. want to marginalize it would 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 say. Does that make sense? I don't so, think we've ever attacked any of the messengers on this show. We've never well, No, no, I'm not saying you. I'm I'm just saying the people that would that would do that, that would say... I think, well, again, I, I think, again, both sides, um, one side trying to debunk the other versus one, you know, one side making claims, the other side making counterclaims, it's all mm-hmm. a tremendous waste of time. So, yeah, I mean, well, they can be respectable people, that's fine, but I can still have my opinion that they're wasting their flipping time, and I shouldn't care about it. Right. Well, well okay, well, just to wrap it up, I appreciate you guys giving me the time. I just think that such, since it was such a recent event, I guess the most recent event uh, in this country that comes to mind as far as anything like that happening is really important and vital to understand who did it, how they did it, but it's why not important. they did it. And that's my my and argument why, is it's and not how important. It us because it, it, we know how us. it affects us. You've it already outlined us. how it affects us. It affects right. us in that the government is growing much larger, much faster, much more intrusive than it ever has been. We agree on that point. The who and the what and the why is what I say is completely irrelevant to what we're doing today. And James, thank yeah. you for the call. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. I understand. You know, when you feel like you're on to something, you feel like you want to tell tell the world. I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to talk about liberty and freedom because we're on to that and it makes right. sense but uh, this I, I is... think that he's being reasonable about these things i i, I don't think he's right. some lunatic um but you know there there are radio shows out there that spend all of their time going over and over the minutiae that is 9-11 truth right they'll bring out their experts and they'll interview them and, and they'll take calls about it and you know, they'll all pat each other on the back. Oh, right. yeah, we're really on to that's something not here. This, that's not this show, and they... they it never will it's, be. It's not, getting any, it's not getting anywhere. Right. It, this, we're this, not going to find out who did it conclusively to the point that you're going to be able to prove anything. You're never going to put Bush, the Bilderbergers, and the rest of them on trial. Right. It just, it's, it, if, in fact, these, this, group, this cabal of people is running the world and they, they orchestrated 9-11, then... You're not going to be able to do anything about them. Apparently, they're so powerful that we can do nothing if, you know, this fantastic group that they're talking about. Right, which is why the conspiracy, uh, the whole NWO conspiracy is a very defeatist conspiracy in that the if you talk to a conspiracy theorist, one of the people that believes in the a new world order, uh, this dark cloak group controlling the world meeting in smoky rooms, and you ask them what they think they can really do about it, beyond tell people right tell people they tell can't people. do we anything we gotta talk about it we gotta get the word out there they, they don't feel like you can do anything because again they believe this group controls everything so they don't believe they can win a, you know run a candidate for office and win they don't believe that there's Some any kind of sick paranoia yeah there's they don't believe there's any way you can win against these guys so in that case what's the point of even talking about it more on the way it's free talk live 
Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up anything. The toll-free number, 800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, including live streams, broadband version of the show, dial-up version, both for free at freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project. It's your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the second American revolution, go to free freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. As we continue with the phone calls to Nakaya in New Hampshire. Nakaya, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hey, and hey, Mark. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing great. What's on your mind? Um, well, a couple things. One of the, uh, the statistic you were looking for is about 88% of marijuana arrests were for possession alone. Wow. I didn't even think it was that high. I thought I'd read something more like 60. Right, but then you take no, the other 12%. 2005, that was the number. Now, okay. take the other 12%, and then you have to ask yourself, well, how many of the dealing charges were the people that happened to have two baggies of pot because they had you know, one uh, bag with mids and another bag with uh, high test now, and were busted and slapped with a dealing charge because well, of that? What you would also have to ask yourself is how many of those people that did have several bags of marijuana were dropped down to possession because they managed to... To plea bargain. Hmm. Maybe that's a good point. Those those are two good points. Um, are you guys going to the thing down in Boston this weekend? Uh, yes, Julia and I will be attending that for at least a couple of hours. So if you're going to be there, hopefully we'll see you there. Very nice. Um, I might try and make it down there. Also, the other thing I wanted to tell you is uh, you've been in contact with the guy on NH Free uh, leaving Florida soon. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's actually in the same house that I am. Oh, very he's, cool. He's uh, right next door to me. Right on. That's that's good to know. There are new people coming up here all the time as part of the Free State Project. In fact, Nikaya, you came up just around the same time we did about a year ago, and uh, yeah. having completed your first year in New Hampshire, what's your uh, first year retrospective of the, the Free State? I'm very happy that I made the move. Excellent. Very happy. Everything's been, been real good up here, and I, I, I have nothing to complain about. Fantastic. And you came from Florida, too, right? Correct. Yeah, so, um, so the winter, not so bad. Um, it's cold, but I actually I like having the different seasons. Right on. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I'd never had a spring and a fall and a winter before, and so as long as you can afford the heat, uh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. As long as you don't have to pay too much for the heat, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, you're splitting a bill between a few people. It's, it's no big deal. Yeah. So Nikaya, exactly, and and fall's just absolutely beautiful up it, here. It really is. It I really think, is. And that's actually, why people travel here just to see the leaves. Right. Um. I know there's uh, the the second. I think it's the most climbed mountain in America here in uh, the Keene area that, called Mount Monadnock. That's correct. Um, Nakaya, Another thing is, uh, it's maple syrup season. Have you tried some pancakes or waffles with um, real maple syrup yet? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, it's yes, excellent. Yes, I have. Isn't it? I found I found a couple good little breakfast spots. It's really amazing. Right on, dude. Hey, thanks for the call, man. We appreciate it. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Let's go to South Africa and talk to Jonas. Jonas, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Um, Mark, that's Janus. J A N U S. Janus. Hello there. Hello. Um, I've got <clears throat> two points. Uh, one uh, from the early part of your show. Uh, the gentleman phoned in, he talked about coffee. Um, he, mm-hmm. Coffee being a drug. Um, 
Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> it's all right. If you're yeah, nervous, we he, understand. He, he, sp- he, sp- he spoke about coffee and marijuana, mm-hmm. and um, what what the way I understood was different kind of drugs, especially tea, cocoa. Um, drugs, in a sense, something that you put in, into your mouth. Right now, now you you have a. I don't know. Uh, Are you defining drugs? Because the definition of a drug would be something that just simply, you know, alters your body chemistry to some extent. Uh, in the case of psychotropic drugs or or drugs taken for the purposes of altering one's mental state, um, that would be the drugs that that he was talking about. But I'm yeah, not sure yeah. what you're getting at. Yeah, I'm um, I'm getting to the, the 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 idea that anything that you put inside your body that to me would be a drug um anything whether whether it be fluid uh something you eat or sure whatever. Yeah, i think you can make that you argument put it into your into your body that to me could be a drug so okay. that in a generalized way i would say that food in a sense would be a drug now that's my first point the second point i just would like to make is um, I'm from South Africa, and I read on the internet about a case in America where a person had cancer. He couldn't eat enough. He couldn't sustain his weight. Hmm. He did sustain his weight by smoking a marijuana cigarette mm-hmm. now and then. Really? Okay? okay. He went to court. He got fined. He went back home. And actually, the way I understood, he actually went to jail, and he died in jail mm. from not having enough to eat. Oh, we, dear. We've, uh, we've read stories like this. There have certainly been uh, plenty of uh, medical marijuana horror stories. Of course, Steve Cubby, we had him on the show. He was sort of wasting away in jail uh, without his medicine. And uh, one of the, uh, the other tragic death stories has to be this, uh, the story of Peter McWilliams. And, uh, Janus, thank you for uh, for making that phone call. We appreciate uh, all the way from over in South Africa. Yeah. Just amazing. Uh, but uh, the Peter McWilliams story is truly tragic because he was... And he was actually a well-known author, the author of Ain't, uh, Ain't Nobody's Business If You Do, and talking about consensual crimes. And he was taking marijuana for his, because he had AIDS. And the, when you have AIDS, you get prescribed all sorts of awful, awful medications mm. that your body just doesn't really take too kindly to. Right. It's a serious disease, and the, the medications are serious medications. And so you take these medications, and there's a good chance it's going to make you nauseous, and you're going to throw them up, which, of course... If you've taken the medications and then you throw them up, they actually – you don't have a chance to absorb the actual medicine. So the trick is to take the medications and then keep the medicine down to keep it there so you can absorb it. Well, that's what he was using marijuana for because marijuana – it's been shown that it reduces nausea. And so he would take his AIDS medication and then he would smoke some marijuana in order to keep his AIDS medication down. And therefore, he'd be all right. Well, they took him to trial – and part of the government, uh, the federal government's trial was that part of um, his sentencing restrictions or his restrictions while he was in the trial, or I, I forget, he was allowed to be not in a jail cell. He was allowed to be in his home. Right, he was out on bond. 
And uh, But part of the restrictions were that he could not use his medicine. He could use his AIDS medicines, but he couldn't use marijuana, which he had permission to use by the state of California. It was a California thing. But that was part of the uh, bond. Right. So he was being uh, – he was abiding by the restrictions, unfortunately. It's a shame he was. But uh, he was doing as they told him to do, and they found his body in his bathroom. Mm. They found his body, and he had, was basically foaming at the mouth. Because he choked on his own vomit. He had taken his AIDS medication, was not able to smoke his marijuana, couldn't keep the medication down, and died choking to death by himself in his bathroom. Yeah. And this is why we're fighting this war on drugs? So people like him can die? Right. Painfully? It's just awful. That's exactly what's happening. And that's just one story. I mean, you've got uh, Jonas's story. You've got Peter McWilliams' story. And I'm sure there are countless others out there, countless other people who are very, very sick that have uh, had died or had major damage done to themselves simply because they can't get their hands on the drug they need. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's our, I'm sorry. Whatever people might imagine marijuana does, it's just not worth people dying to try to keep it away from them. It's just not worth it. Nope. Um, you know, it, there's enough cases out there, there's enough horror stories that I believe that some of them have to be true. Sure, I'm positive the people in California that, you know, there, there are actually 14 states where medical marijuana is legal. I'm sure that some people are abusing it, quote unquote, that they're uh, not really sick when they go to get, get it from their doctor, that they're, they just have stress or something. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. So what? Yeah, that's fine. They would have smoked it anyway. 1-800-259-9231, the Sekel CAI toll-free lines. Let the drug users out of prison, the ones that haven't harmed anybody else, so we can actually make room for murderers and rapists and arsonists and people that have actually done something wrong. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The features are for free, so enjoy those on us. And if you like the show, you want to help support Free Talk Live, then become a Free Talk Live amplifier. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com to get signed up today for as little as 3 bucks a month. You know we give you the, uh, the website for free, so this is above and beyond all that. This is if you want to help Free Talk Live get on more radio stations. We've got 30 of them so far. It's not too far away from 60 to 90 to 120. I mean, we could be on hundreds of them with your help. Uh, head over to amp.freetalklive.com. Of course, that'll help spread the message of freedom and liberty in as far and as wide as possible. And you get some perks as well, like access to the AMP-only call-in line, AMP-only forum and chat room. All the details are at amp.freetalklive.com. The idea, though, is simple. We take that money in, and we use it to get on more stations and promote the show. So if that's valuable to you and you want to help us out, amp.freetalklive.com. Com. Let's jump back into Mark's email box. You've got something about fiat currency. Yes, I do. Um, it's uh, This one's from Fred. <clears throat> I hear a lot of talk on FTL against fiat money. A lot of talk about how fiat money is a form of fake economic exchange because it's based on paper and not on something substantial like gold or silver. Well, it's not just based on paper. It's based on um, the government lying to people. Uh, the government says, you must use this as money, and it doesn't matter if there's nothing backing it. We're going to print out a whole, bunch of, uh, a whole bunch of it, 
And, uh, well, in fact, we're going to print some more of it any old time we want to. But you have to use this as money. I guess it's not really a lie, necessarily. Uh, I guess they're not telling people it's backed and it's not actually backed by anything. But it's definitely deceptive. People think it's worth something because it's backed by the government. But it's not actually worth anything except what people perceive it to be worth, which, of course, that perception changes the more money they pump to the system via the printing press. Well, money's a store of value. And when the government gets a hold of anything, they screw it up. And likely they're going to... To end up doing the opposite of what it is that they set out to do. And since money is a store of value, you can't actually store value in our current fiat currency system. And, you know, fiat meaning that it's decreed by law, by yeah, because um, the we authority. Said so. And, you know, so if, if you were to put $100,000 in your mattress and pull it out 50 years later, you're not going to have anywhere near as much money as you put in in value. Right. You'll still have the same $100,000. The, the bills will be there. They'll just be worth a heck of a lot less. Right. So, um, But what's his point? He says, frankly, this idea of yours is ridiculous. <laughs> the reason why is because all forms of money is fiat money. It's so simple to understand. What? Your ignorance on this issue surprises me. All money is symbolic of work performed and time spent. Um, you work X amount of time, which issues X amount of compensation, profit. As long as we all agree that X is equal to work done, it doesn't matter if it's based on gold, silver, moon, um, regoloth. I'm not sure what moon regoloth is, or paper. The only reason that gold would be worth anything is because all of society agrees that it is. Now that mm -hmm. our current economic structure is not based on gold and silver, but paper note that equates to a certain value, there's no consequence. The reason there's no consequence is because we can pay American dollars for products in other countries, and those countries will accept American paper as payment for products or services rendered. The reason that other countries accept American paper as payment is because they agree socially that it has value. Money can be based on anything. That's um, it, By the way, yes, the, the money... Some of the things he's saying are true. Well, um, they are true, except the parts we're saying it doesn't matter. Because right. Oh, it matters. It does matter. Uh, actually... But a, money can be anything. Green, he's right about a that. A greenback is worth money. Sure, you can trade it for things. Absolutely, it is money. It sure is. The problem with it is that we use the term fiat currency because it's a short way of saying the government controls this and they control how much goes out. Rome used gold, but they cheated. They'd take an ounce of gold, and then they'd clip a, pi a bit of it out, and then mm -hmm. they would require people to call that an ounce of gold, or yeah. we'll kill you, kind of thing. Um, so y this is what happens when government get in gets into money. We shouldn't. The government shouldn't be involved in money at all. People can handle what money is. Money is, um, you know, gold and silver have been great stores of wealth since people had them, essentially. And they'll 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 do fine. Um, likely, people will exchange all kinds of other things too. Notes that are worth a right paper will be hundred pounds of bananas w which or something. I th I'd like to point out that he is right that paper can be money too. Yes, uh, we're not. There's nothing. We don't have anything against paper. It's, it's just, just that, that it's a government program and the government's screwing it up. It's just that when the paper isn't backed by anything, you see, that's the other important difference that he's just apparently unaware of is that the government paper, the greenbacks that you have in your wallet, at one time were actually backed by hard metals. There actually are things you can come across them from time to time. If you work retail, you have, get a bunch of bills coming through your hands, you'll eventually find a silver certificate. And you could actually take that silver certificate down to the issuing bank. and At one point in time. At one point in time. You and can't do it now. No, they'll laugh at you now. Uh, and you could turn it in. 
for the equivalent amount in silver. You can't do that anymore. And the reason why you can't do it anymore is because the government got rid of the backing to the dollar specifically so they could grow the government, specifically so they would have more power. It's easier to fight wars when you can print the money. Exactly, and more control. So there is a significant, very important reason to get back to real value-backed currency, and that is because you can't just inflate the money supply. Gold has to be mined from the earth. You know, you can't just create it out of thin air, which is what they're doing with the greenback. It is being created from thin air. That's bad. It's not sound fiscal policy, and that needs to end because they're stealing from all of us. Right, and I'm not saying that gold is necessarily the only thing that we would use um, as currency. I'm just saying it's an easy thing for people to look at as currency. It's been currency before. Yes, it's worked before. It can work again. Fred goes on. It's what everyone agrees that is money. It's important. If the world agrees that gold is worth nothing, the paper is worth a certain value, that point um, of view is valid because all parties agree that on worth the world, a particular do- the world piece, doesn't think no, that. No country needs a base um, to base their money on any form of gold, silver, clay, rocks, dirt. Because no, it's clear they don't need to. If we've, said, no, if we've the, said on this show, Fred, that the America needs to base its currency on gold, I'd like to retract that because I don't think we've said that. If we've said it, we certainly haven't said it in a very long time. America needs to get out of the currency business because any time a government gets involved in anything, it screws it up, Fred. And the United States government is screwing up our currency. Okay, am I clear? That's right. They've Good. been they've been doing a bang up job at it over the past almost uh, entire hundred years that uh, the Federal Reserve has been around. So your argument that paper and Fred goes on your argument that paper money is invalid because it isn't based on gold or some other form of rock is nonsense. I'm not saying that. That Fred, wasn't our argument. Not our argument. Never has <laughs> maybe been. Maybe you've heard that somewhere or not, some somewhere else. But I know that I can take Federal Reserve notes and I can go buy a hamburger. I'm not saying that it's not um, that it's invalid. The problem I'm, is you can't take the same amount of Federal Reserve notes 10 years from now and buy that same burger. Right. The, the problem is the government is it, it's an invisible tax. When they print money, they spend it at the current value of that money and then dilute the, the monetary pool, and therefore your money becomes worth less. That's what the problem is. Right. Inflation is not rising prices. Rising prices are a symptom of inflation. Inflation is an increase in the money supply, which happens when the the Federal Reserve turns on the printing presses or increments some numbers in a computer somewhere. Now, um, and he goes on. The reason that I reject the gold only, another reason I reject the gold only argument is that the amount of gold is finite and society is growing. Say you have 100 people in society and gold is worth X amount. What happens if the value of gold remains X? But the people are fruitful and multiplying. The whole value of that society would become poorer as the number of people increase because the amount of gold and its worth would remain finite. The only way to save the poor would be to find more gold so that it could accommodate more. Yes, it doesn't make any sense at all. Gold would go up in value. Look at uh, Jebco.com and you'll see that the value of gold fluctuates. Gold is just another currency right right now, currently in the world. Gold is just another currency and you you can essentially do business in gold. Are the poor people dying now, Fred? No. The value of gold will go up. Instead of buying a car for two ounces of gold, you'll buy a car for one ounce of gold. It sounds to me like Fred is uh, parroting the things that he heard in his college economics class. Fred thinks that Keynesian economics actually works. And as he digs a little deeper and a little deeper, he'll find that Keynesian economics is really just the socialists getting in and ruining the minds of our young men and women. Yep. Uh, The fact is... 
if you want to look at these things, please dig deeper into metal-backed currencies. Those things are fine. They're making excuses for plunder is but what they're doing. Also, I'm, I say the government needs to be out of the currency business entirely. Right. Let the market decide on what, what is valuable and what should be a go-between, should be currency. And, you know, the, the, the fact is, Fred, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, these private banks around. Uh, for instance, in Sarasota, Florida, there was something called the International Barter Exchange. It should have been called the Sarasota Barter Exchange, but it was called the International Barter Exchange. And they ex- exchange goods and services between businesses. I could exchange radio ads for uh, dry cleaning or restaurant uh, uh, merchandise. Are you telling me that the, the store of wealth in the world would shrink then? No. The government screws up everything it's involved And wealth in. isn't finite either. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. Hour 3 is coming up, and you can take control of the airwaves. 800-259-9231. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're launching into hour number three of the program. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 1-800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line for you. That's 800-259-9231, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The features on the site are for free, so you can enjoy those on us. That, again, is freetalklive.com. Let's talk about Somalia. Now, there's an article over at Mises.org by Spencer Heath McCallum about Somalia and about some of the changes they've gone through over the past uh, couple of decades, uh, some of the very positive changes since the destruction of their government, as well as the Zeer system, which is sort of their system of interacting uh, from clan to clan, person to person. It's, also, it's kind of like their system of, uh, of law. Uh, but not really law in the way that you normally think of it. It's very interesting. And I don't know how much of this we're going to be able to get into. In fact, what I might decide to do is break it up into maybe four parts and we'll spread it out over several days or something like that because it's that in-depth and I think that important as well. Because, well, as you may know, back in the mid-1990s, Somalia, or early to mid-1990s, Somalia sort of lost its government. It was displaced and overthrown. And it never really has had one since. So it's now been over a decade since it hasn't really had a central government to speak of. And it's got know, these warlords kind of looking to take over, but right. and this none article, of them can gain enough power. This article uh, at Mises.org explains the warlord aspect, uh, but first it, talks out, it talk, starts out by talking about some of the interesting changes, some of the very positive things that have happened in Somalia over the last, uh, the last five years. So we'll just get started here, and you're welcome to call, call in, comment, bring up whatever you want, as always. Uh, but I think this is instructive and interesting, because it shows that in the absence of a government, you don't necessarily have chaos, which is what they teach you in government school. They teach you that, oh, without a government, everything would be hell, it would be chaotic, there would be killing in the streets, and it would be terrible. Well, anyway, Spencer writes... Were there such a category, Somalia would hold a place in the Guinness World Records as a country with the longest absence of a functioning central government. When the Somalis dismantled their government in 1991 and returned to their pre-colonial political status, the expectation was that chaos would result. And that, of course, would be the politically correct thing to expect to happen. But imagine if it were otherwise. Imagine any part of the globe not being dominated by a central government and the people there surviving even prospering. 
If such were to happen, and the idea actually spread to other parts of Africa or other parts of the world, the mystique of the necessity of the state might be irreparably damaged, and many politicians and bureaucrats might find themselves walking about looking for work. If the expectation was that Somalia would plunge into an abyss of chaos, what is the reality? A number of recent studies address this question, including one by economist Peter Leeson drawing on statistical data from the United Nations Development Project, World Bank, CIA, and World Health Organization. Certainly organizations that have a strong interest in having governments around. Comparing the last five years under, a, under the central government, so from 1985 to 1990, the last five years they had a government, mm-hmm. with the most recent five years of anarchy from 2000 to 2005. Here is what they found. Life expectancy in Somalia has increased from 46 to 48.5 years. This well, is, they don't live very long, do they? It's, well, it's, not, it's not a utopia over there. But the, the point is, things are getting better, not worse. This is a poor expectancy as compared with developed countries. But in any measurement of welfare, what is important to observe is not where a population stands at a given time, but what is the trend. Is the trend positive, or is it the reverse? Number of one-year-olds fully immunized against measles rose from 30 to 40 percent. Number of physicians per 100,000 population rose from 3.4 to 4. Number of infants with low birth weight, probably a severe problem in Africa. I would imagine. Uh, fell from 16 per thousand to, all, to 0.3 per thousand, which is statistically almost nothing. Infant mortality uh, per 1,000 births fell from 152 to 114.9. Maternal mortality, where mom dies, per 100,000 births, fell from 1,600 to 1,100. Percent of the population with access to sanitation rose from 18 to 26 percent. Percent of the population with access to at least one health facility rose from 28 percent to 54.8 percent. It's pretty significant. Percent of population in extreme poverty, i.e. less than a dollar per day, fell from 60 percent to 43.2 percent. Radios per thousand population, this is huge, rose from 4 to 98.5. Telephones per thousand population rose from 1.9 to 14.9. And we've talked in other articles about Somalia about how cell phone companies have been popping up all over the place. And they have more TVs than they have radio radio stations, radios. People uh, have more televisions than radios in Somalia. No, I haven't gotten to the TV. I thought statistic. you just that was telephones. Telephones Phone. per thousand. Gotcha. One point. It used to be one point nine. They still have. It's now fourteen point nine. Still more telephones than radios. That's hard to believe. I mean, radios are in no, such. No, radios is ninety eight point five per thousand. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm getting far more radios. Uh, but my point was that the phone companies in Somalia, since they are not regulated by the government anymore, they're popping up everywhere. The competition is incredible. In fact, they talk about the cell phones here in a moment. But the uh, getting your phone line installed, you can get your phone line installed and turned on quicker in Somalia than you can get it turned on here in America. Well, it's probably because there, uh, you know, there's no regulations on the phone companies. They don't have monopolies, so therefore they right. have to actually com- compete. Competition. Uh, TVs per 1,000 population rose from 1.2 to 3.7. Fatalities due to measles fell from 8,000 to 5,600. Another even more comprehensive study published last year by Benjamin Powell of the Independent Institute concludes, quote, We find that Somalia's... I know him. 
We find that Somalia's living standards have improved generally, not just in absolute terms, but also relative to other African countries since the collapse of the Somali central government. Because it wouldn't be fair to just look at Somalia and say, well, look, they're living better when every other country in Africa is also living better. That wouldn't be, you know, that wouldn't be fair. But the fact is Somalia is living much, much better than the rest of Africa. Somalia's pastoral economy, or at least the surrounding areas in Africa, uh, pastoral economy is now stronger than that of either neighboring Kenya or Ethiopia. It's the largest exporter of livestock, uh, livestock of any East African country. Telecommunications have burgeoned in Somalia. A call from a mobile phone is cheaper in Somalia than anywhere else in Africa. A small number of international investors are finding that the level of security of property and contract in Somalia warrants doing business there. Among those companies are Dole, the BBC, DHL, British Airways, General Motors, and Coca-Cola, which recently opened a large bottling plant in Mogadishu. Mm. A five-star, so big companies coming in, starting to do business there. Why do you think that is? I guess it's worth the uh, worth their um, time. They see things are happening. They see that they can get in there without having to ask any bureaucrats for permission to jump through right. all the... No, you don't need a building permit if there's no central government. Right. Normally in the third world, the reason why third world countries are the way they are isn't because their people are dumb. It's because they're ruled by dictators. They're ruled by two-bit dictators who want every single thing, every single decision to pass through their hands. It's not really the decisions they care so much about. It's the money. If Coca-Cola is going to build a plant um, in you know Somalia and it's, written, it's ruled by a two-bit dictator, that guy wants the payoff. Mm-hmm. He says, there's a big company coming in here to, to make money off of my people. Well, I need right. a big old check. And in many in many of these uh, countries, they have incredibly bureaucratic requirements just to simply open the business. So before you can even lace them with a bunch of cash, you have to fill out all kinds of forms and get approvals, and it's just a nightmare. A five-star ambassador hotel is operating in Hargesia, and three new universities are fully functional. Amud University, which opened in 1997, Mogadishu University in 1997, and the University of Benadir opened in 2002. These they didn't have before. Hmm. The call to establish democracy. Well, all of this is terribly politically incorrect for the reason I suggested. Consequently, the United Nations has by now spent well over $2 billion, most of it American dollars because the U.S. funds the U.N. tremendously, attempting to reestablish a central government in Somalia. Now, do you think the United Nations is trying to bring back a central government in Somalia because they care about the Somali people and they're worried that uh, with all this chaos around, people are going to die and starve? And Is that why they're trying to bring a central government back? I think they thoroughly believe in government. You bet they do. And They believe in government. They don't want Somalia to prove that government is not necessary, which is what they've been proving for a while now. I don't know if it's quite that, uh, that, that despicable. I think they're just, oh... Yeah, I think we've got to have a government. We have to have a government for these, these poor people. These are the big government people. These are the ones, the people in the UN are the biggest of big government people. And I think they know exactly what they're doing. 800 259 9231, because all you need is that one government free area to prove to the rest of the world that this whole government thing, it's a farce. More on the way. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. The show is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up anything at 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us online, freetalklive.com, the place to go that features for free. We've got updates. You get signed up. We'll keep you in the loop whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. You'll know first. If you're on the updates list, you can get on it uh, Get on it by going to updates.freetalklive.com. That's updates.freetalklive.com. If you're looking at getting a new mattress, 
Try the Savvy Rest mattress. They're made of natural latex rubber, organic wool, and organic cotton. And they're darn comfy. Ian, you, you and I, you have one. I have been enjoying mine, yes. Yes, they're very nice. So we, we both have one. We recommend them. That's SavvyRest.com. SavvyRest.com. All right. It is uh, for the sleep you've been dreaming of, by That's the way. That's right. Uh, 800-259-9231. We're talking about Somalia, a country you're not going to hear very much about in your government school textbooks. You might hear, uh, you know, something about there was some American troops that went in there back in the early 1990s, but that's about all you're going to hear. Maybe you'll hear that there are warlords and there's chaos and anarchy and terrible things happening there, but maybe you're not being told the whole truth. According to Mises.org and uh, the information here, things have been getting a lot better in Somalia ever since the government went away in 1991. They did some uh, comparisons between 1985 to 1990 and 2000 to 2005 and found that all over the board, things are you know seem to be getting better in Somalia. Things are getting better in Somalia, and there's no government. And there's no government around. Uh, businesses are blooming. Uh, people are living longer. People are living healthier. They've got access, more access to sanitation and other things. And, of course, you're inevitably going to ask yourself, well, what about the criminals? What, what about courts? What about justice? Well, we may get to that. If we don't do it tonight, we'll definitely touch on it uh, within the next day or so. But uh, first, let's talk about the United Nations and how it is that the United Nations has a real hard-on, for lack of a better term, uh, to bring government back to Somalia. In fact, they've spent over $2 billion attempting to reestablish a central government in Somalia over the last decade and a half. But here's the irony. It's the presence of the United Nations that has caused virtually all of the turbulence that we have seen in Somalia. Let me explain why this is the case. Like most of pre-colonial Africa, Somalia is traditionally a stateless society. When the colonial powers withdrew, in order to better serve their purposes, they hastily trained local people and set up a European-style government in their place. Mm -hmm. These were supposed to be democratic, but they soon devolved into brutal dictatorships. Democracy is unworkable in Africa for several reasons. The first thing that voting does is to divide a population into two groups, the group that rules and a group that is ruled. That's what democracy is all about, right? This is completely at variance with Somali tradition. Second, if democracy is to work, it depends, in theory at least, upon a populace that will vote on issues. But in a kinship society such right. as Somalia... In, in all of Africa and a great deal of the world, it's tribally based. Mm -hmm. And especially when white people come along and draw lines in the sand and say, your people are going to live together. You're doing it wrong! Uh, in a kinship society, as in Somalia, voting takes place not on the merit of the issues, but along group lines. Yep. One votes according to one's clan affiliation. Since the ethnic of kinship, excuse me, the ethic of kinship requires loyalty to one's fellow clansmen, the winners use the power of government to benefit their own members, which means exploitation of the members of other clans. It's reward your friends and punish your enemies, just like any other government. But writ large. Consequently. When there exists a governmental apparatus with its awesome powers of taxation and police and judicial monopoly, the interests of the clans conflict. Some clan will control that apparatus. To avoid being exploited by other clans, each clan must attempt to be that controlling clan. So this is exactly what we have going on here in America, except we don't have the clans. And people vote America, on issues to some extent in America. Well, here in America, it's the issue interest groups that are trying to control one another. You've got, you know, the Christians that want to put the Bible in schools. You've got some people that want to put sexual education in schools. And it's the same thing, except it's just not clan-based. It's issue-based groups. 
different groups are trying to control the violent apparatus of the state. The turmoil in Somalia consists uh, in the clans maneuvering to position themselves to control the government whenever it might come into being. And this has been exacerbated, uh, exacerbated by the governments of the world, especially the United States, keeping alive the expectation that a government will soon be established and supplying arms to whoever seems at present most likely to be able to bring democracy to Somalia. The warlord phenomenon we hear so much about refers to clan and independent militias, often including leftovers of the former central government, who promise to establish a government under the control of their own clan. They often operate outside of the control of the traditional elders and sometimes in opposition to them. So the warlords and the violence that you have in Somalia exists because they're expecting the United Nations to be successful in re-implanting a government to the state, to uh, to Somalia. And so they're fighting over being the anointed clan, basically, is what's going on. Uh, hence, the most violent years in Somalia were the years following 1991, when the United Nations was physically present, attempting to impose a central government. When the United Nations finally withdrew in 1995, the expectation of a future central government began to recede, and things began to stabilize. But the United Nations continued its efforts to reestablish a government through a series of some 16 failed peace conferences. In 2000, it set up a straw government, the transition uh, the Transitional National Government, or TNG. However, not only did the northern Somali clans not recognize the TNG, it was unable to control its intended capital city of Mogadishu. Today, a combined peacekeeping mission of the United States-backed troops from Ethiopia, Somalia's traditional enemy, and Uganda under the aegis of... Uh, is it Aegeus? Aegis? of the African Union is in Mogadishu attempting to prop up the TNG and secure its control over the rest of Somalia. As a result, violence is soaring. The situation is curiously like an event in Greek, uh, Greek mythology. The gods on Mount Olympus were enjoying a festive party, to which, understandably, they had not invited Eris, the goddess of discord. Eris, just as understandably, took the matter personally. She had the blacksmith fashion a golden apple on which was written to the fairest then she opened a door a crack and rolled the golden apple into the festive hall in no time at all the gods were fighting over who should have the apple the golden apple in somalia is the expectation that there will soon be a central government as long as there is that expectation the clans must fight over who will control it so the point being that if the united nations would just butt out and the u.s would just butt out and leave Somalia alone and stop trying to impose a government on these people, which they clearly don't want. The TNG has tried it 16 times, and it's been rebuffed every single time. If they would just leave these people alone, they'd get along just fine. They seem to be doing okay by themselves. I don't know why it is that uh, we... I, I don't know why the United States is so concerned about other governments anyway. Isn't this government here supposed to protect us from foreign invaders and on a local level protect us from criminals? Isn't that really what they're supposed to do? I don't see why they're trying to set up governments around the world. Oh, you must have missed that paragraph in the Constitution, Mark. It's not in the Constitution, I can assure you. Oh, it's not? You mean it doesn't say that uh, America exists to spread democracy around the world? Policemen of the world, no. Huh. Sorry. America exists to reestablish governments in countries that don't want them? No, it doesn't say anything about politicians having grandiose ideas that they can, uh, simply because they've been elected to American government, that they can, in fact, rule the world. No, it doesn't say that crap. So the inevitable question is still, how does the whole rule of law thing work in Somalia? I mean, is there law? How could they get along without a government? They've been doing it for almost 15 years at this point, more than 15 years. How can they? 
How do they work that out? Well, it's not hard to say. All you have to do is do a little research into the Zier, which we might talk about here, or we'll take your calls about whatever you want. 800-259-9231. It's kind of instructive as to what might, you know, what we might be able to do here in the absence of a government. This is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it is your show, and you can bring up anything via the toll-free number at 1-800-259-9231, the sickle CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online, freetalklive.com. The wiki's there, over 1,400 pages created by listeners just like you. You can go and edit the wiki to your heart's content. It is like the listener-editable version of our website. Go to wiki.freetalklive.com to get interactive, wiki.freetalklive.com. And if you or perhaps someone you know needs a primer on some of the subjects we talk about on Free Talk Live, you should check out Liberty Radio Underground. It's an elementary introduction to libertarianism, and each show concisely handles a single topic in less than 10 minutes. It's great for someone who is new to Liberty, so go to libertyradiounderground.com today and grab an episode. It's free. That's libertyradiounderground.com. I actually did get a chance to listen to one of their episodes, and it made me want to listen to another one. Yeah, I know. I, I, I did the same thing. I listened to one. Oh, I needed to listen to another one of these. We may talk about here in a moment a little bit more about the Zir, the Somalis, uh, Somalia's customary law, and how their system, this tribal-based customary law system, may actually be far more civilized than what we have in this country. But first, let's go to the phones, uh, because you can bring up anything. And we've got Dave on the line in New Hampshire. Dave, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hey guys. Hey, what's on your mind? Well, I wanted to kind of update you uh, on the, you know, what I witnessed today in re- in relation to the uh, the whole Ed Brown situation. You're talking about the uh, the four Ed Brown supporters that were arrested yesterday. Correct. Okay. What happened? Yeah. We uh, we went over to the uh, the federal building in Concord today to demonstrate uh, because it turned out that two of the four were already going to be arraigned today and did end up getting arraigned at Concord. But weren't they arrested in Texas or so? I mean, different places across the country. Why did they bring them to Concord for this? I don't know. I don't really know all about how they work, but I'm just assuming that they're figuring that they believe a crime was committed in New Hampshire, therefore they're going to prosecute them in New Hampshire. So they're dragging them all here. All That's interesting because I thought it was a federal thing. I mean, they've got federal well, courts it everywhere. It is federal, so I'm, you know, I don't know why they would necessarily do it here, but they're definitely they're doing it here. They've already dragged two of them here. They're going to drag two more over the next few days. Obviously, they didn't know that you were going to show up, Dave. What happened? Well, I know. I mean, they. I mean, I'm sure they expected demonstrators, but uh, you know, we did. We put uh, nine demonstrators uh, out in front of the courthouse today. You know, on pretty short notice. So that was, you know, that Excellent. was a pretty pretty good number, um, and. Uh, you know, um, uh, I just think it was important that they they not be able to do this completely in the dark. Sure. And I didn't actually go into the uh, court hearing because I scheduled a different demonstration in a different part of the state in, mm-hmm. in Manchester. Um, but it was interesting to see. You know, and I, you know they they certainly were very interested in the fact that there were any demonstrators at all outside. I mean, they were all sort of poking their heads outside, pretending not to watch. <laughs> So did anything else noteworthy happen? Uh, well, I, you know, I shot a video of what we did, but I couldn't figure out a way to to explain on the air how to how to view the video. I just stuck it up on YouTube today, um, and 
and uh, we were just pretty much out there all day. We got a lot of uh, uh, negative and positive feedback from from drivers. I would say we just got more feedback overall because most people, you know, know who Ed Brown is now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ed Brown, of course, uh, for those just tuning in or who don't know, he is uh, currently holed up in his house in Plainfield, New Hampshire, as the feds are attempting to, uh, they're trying to convince him to turn himself in so he can go sit in jail uh, for five years. For the rest of his life, essentially. Uh, he's a man in his 60s, and uh, the reason why they want to put him in jail is because he decided he wanted to keep all the money he earned and decide for himself how to spend it and t- instead of turning it over to uh, federal bureaucrats. And so uh, I support Ed Brown. I don't necessarily agree with everything the guy says, but I support his right to keep the money he earned. He has not harmed anyone. And the idea that Ed Brown should be a criminal is is very absurd to me. So what's the next step here, Dave? What are you guys uh, doing next? It's just important, I think, you know, stepping back just a little bit. If you think about it, first they're going to come for Ed. Then they start coming for his more controversial supporters. Then they'll come for his less controversial supporters, perhaps. And then they come for you. So Sure. but you meaning you, the audience member. So it's right. important to, to draw that line here and, and to take a stand as best we can for each person they try to come after. Very good. Dave, uh, keep up the good that, work. What's you, coming next? Uh, I don't know. I, I just uh, you will be focused on today, and I'm really not sure what we should do next. But there is a big uh, concert at the Browns' house on Saturday. Um, and uh, Starts you know, at noon, right? Soon. I beg your pardon? Doesn't that start at noon? I'm not on sure Saturday. what time it starts. Where can people go to get more information on that? Uh, you can Google it. I would just, you know, there's all. I know there's stuff on nhfree.com. On I guess it's calendar.nhfree.com. Yeah, that's a good place to go. Calendar.nhfree.com. Very good, Dave. Any final thoughts? If there's a good turnout for that, I think that would be one way to sort of to remind Washington that they're not. They're not succeeding in, right. in scaring people. That's what they're trying to do. They want to scare away Ed Brown's supporters, and I don't think they're going to be successful. Are you planning on going to the concert? I'm not allowed on Ed Brown's property. He won't let me in. He thinks I'm too peaceful. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm so sure. What do you we'll, do? I'm sure we'll hear from somebody. That's why I say he's he's kind of a kooky old guy. But uh, you know, that's his life. It's his property. He can do, set whatever rules he wants to on it. Yeah. Yeah. Just wait until we've got an Ed Brown who is actually welcoming of supporters and nice to his supporters. He's going to get ten times as much support. Yep. And Ed Brown still gets a lot of support for all his crankiness. You're right, Dave. Thanks for the call, dude. We appreciate it. Eight hundred two five nine. Ninety-two thirty-one. It's amazing how people are uh, really getting behind Ed Brown, and it wouldn't have happened without the internet. It absolutely wouldn't, and the Free State Project's been pretty helpful too. Some of the uh, Free Staters have really Which wouldn't been have his, happened without the internet. His big supporters. You're right. Uh, Somalia, talking about the Zir, talking about the people in Somalia not having a government around to speak of. In fact, they haven't had one since 1991 when they threw theirs off. The U.N. has been trying and trying to re-implement a government, and the Somali people, they don't want anything to do with it. And so they keep rebuffing the U.N., and they keep trying to bring a government around, and that's what's causing all the uh, the, the tumult over there, in that there are certain interest groups that would like to be in charge of a government, should one actually come back, that are fighting with each, with one another over who will get to be in charge of that government. But in the meantime, the Somali people are basically saying, wait a minute, what, why do you want to keep giving us this government? We don't We don't want a government. Because what they have in common, according to Mises.org, even more than similar language, lifestyle, and physical character, is a body of customary law, the Zer, spelled X-E-E-R, okay. which differs from clan to clan in non-essential ways, such as founding myths, but is remarkably uniform with respect to its provision for the protection of persons and property. The Zer provides a rule of law, customary law, that is permitting safe travel, trade, marriage, and so forth throughout the region. 
The Zir is most intact in the north of Somalia, which was under British rule. In the south, the Italians tried to eradicate it. Nonetheless, it survives to a significant degree everywhere, even in the urban areas, and is virtually unaffected in rural Somalia. The Zir is the secret to the whole perplexing question of Somalia's success without a central government, since it provides an authentic rule of law to support trade and economic development. Fortunately, we know something about the Zir because of Michael Van Noten, a Dutch lawyer who in the early 1990s married into the Samaran clan in the northwest of Somalia, okay. the fifth largest of the Somali clans, and lived with them for the last 12 years of his life. He took full advantage of that opportunity to research the Zir. The result was his pioneering study, The Law of the Somalis, published two years ago. Uh, Van Noten died when his manuscript was only half finished. Fortunately, he'd largely completed assembling the ethnographic material, and in his will, he asked that I, the author of this article, edit and complete the manuscript for publication. The task ahead is to see the work translated into Somali. There is time in this uh, short talk to give you only some of the highlights of this year. First, law and consequently crime, are defined in terms of property rights. The law is compensatory rather than punitive. Because property rights require compensation rather than punishment, there is no imprisonment, and fines are rare. Such fines might be imposed seldom, exceed the amount of compensation, and are not payable to any court or government, but directly to the victim. A fine might be in order when, for example, the killing of a camel was deliberate and premeditated, in which case the victim will receive not one, but two camels. Okay, as opposed to accidentally killing a camel, then they would just get compensated a camel. Probably, yeah. That makes perfectly good sense to me. Right, and this is very sensible, and it's exactly what we talk about on this show that we would like to see happen here in America. Instead of having this as he puts it, punitive system, where you, somebody does something wrong and they get locked up in a jail cell for X amount of days or years, and then they get let out, and the victim is still without his family member or without his window or without the property that was stolen or whatever it was that the, the crime was, the victim is never made whole, or very rarely, very rarely in America do we have restitution. But that's what the Somalis have in their tribal system with the Zir. There's a little bit more that we'll share with you on the way. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. Single CAI toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Mark. 800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com, where the features are for free. So if you would like to voluntarily support Free Talk Live, we invite you to go shopping with us. You can buy Free Talk Live branded merchandise like T-shirts, hats, and hoodies, and more, all at store.freetalklive.com. That is store.freetalklive.com. You can buy anything else you might need to purchase in life at amazon.freetalklive.com, and we'll get a percentage of your purchase if you enter Amazon through that link. That's amazon.freetalklive.com. And finally, my house is still for sale. House.freetalklive.com. Mark gets to sell his phone at auction.freetalklive.com. I get to sell my house. Well, the difference is in four days, my phone will be sold. Right. And your house? Not so much. Yeah, probably not in four days. Yeah, the market sucks. It's a good time to buy a house, though, down in Sarasota, Florida. So if you. I'll um, tell you what, it, it's, it's underpriced. You think so? I, I think do. so, too, but I haven't gotten very, very many offers on it's it. It's just the people aren't buying in Sarasota, Florida. Man. They're waiting for the market to really bottom out. Well, anyway, if you're looking to, to maybe move to Florida, looking for an excuse to live minutes away from the beach, 
house.freetalklive.com. All right, uh, back to Somalia, talking about Mises.org story, the rule of law without the state. How on earth, we are asked, I've been asked many times on this show, is, well, how would we get along without the government to run the courts and that sort of thing, police? Well, the Somalis have a few answers. It's called the Zir. It's their system between their... Um, it's kind of like common law. It's, yeah, it's their customary laws is what it's called. And it goes between the clans, and they all sort of agree on these things. And uh, this the system is based on property rights, which is a shocker, right? Because that's not really the way it is here. Here in America, you do something wrong, you harm somebody else, and they throw you in a jail cell. As though that solves the problem right. or you makes steal things something, better. You steal something from a store, and the store may never even get it back. But you'll go to jail, so yeah. the government benefits in all ways. Right. You're pay- Here in America, you, quote, pay your debt to society, unquote. No, no, no. I, by stealing something from you, Mark, uh, society did not incur a debt. Or I did not incur a debt from society. I am in your debt because I destroyed your value. I took something that belonged to you put it in my possession, and then went and sold it for crack money or whatever it is I did. Mm-hmm. Um, that means I owe you a payback, not society. So we've got it all wrong here in America. And let's let's look to the Zir to find some uh, some possible answers. Should we adopt this completely? Not necessarily. It's just interesting to learn about because they don't teach you this in government school. So, uh, again, it's uh, the problems there are treated as property rights issues. So if you steal something, you have to pay it back. And you have to pay a little restitution on top of that as well. Well, uh, you know, this is the way that um, common law has worked throughout the centuries, because right. incarcerating someone is an extraordinarily expensive thing to do. Sure it is. And somebody has to pay for it. Not to mention it doesn't work that well. It, it, we really didn't, haven't even, um, didn't even do it in this country that much until the 20th century came about. The idea was, uh, you know, even, even in colonial times when they did use jails, it was to get somebody to uh, repent from their sins and that kind of thing. Um, I think that it, compensation really is the way to go. Yeah, yep, that's where we need to go in this country for sure. Now, here's another interesting difference between here and uh, America and Somalia. Over there, in the Zir system, fines are used in a very interesting way. It's expected that a prominent public figure, such as a religious or political dignitary or policeman or judge, should leave an exemplary life. If he violates the law, he pays double what will be required of an ordinary person. Instead of over here, where right. if a cop does something wrong, then they just all close ranks and protect one another, and right. no one ever has to pay Administrative anything. leave. Uh, also, it should be noted, since the law and, the cri- and crime are defined in terms of property rights, the ZEER is unequivocal in its opposition to any form of taxation. Second, in order to assure that compensation will be forthcoming, even in cases where a perpetrator is a child or penniless or crazy or has fled abroad, yeah, I, I was gonna, these were my questions. The Zeer requires that every person be fully insured against any liability he might incur under the law. If an individual cannot make the required payment, a designated group of his kin is responsible. Mm. Van Naughton describes it in an interesting way how this happens. A person who violates someone's rights and is unable to pay the compensation himself notifies his family, who then will pay on his behalf. At that point, he'd presumably owe his family the debt. Uh, From an emotional point of view, this notification is a painful procedure, since no family member will miss the opportunity to tell the wrongdoer how vicious or stupid he was. Also, they'll ask assurances that he be more careful in the future. Indeed, all those who must pay for the wrongdoings of a family member will thereafter keep an eye on him and try to intervene before he incurs another liability. They will no longer, for example, allow him to keep or bear a weapon. 
While on other continents, the re-education of criminals is typically a task of the government. In Somalia, it's the responsibility of the family. And, you know, those are the people that are best suited to do it. If the family tires of bailing out a repeat offender, they can disown him. In which case, he then becomes an outlaw. Mm. Not being insured, he forfeits all protection under the law, and for his safety, should probably leave the country. Customary law is similar in this and many other respects throughout the world. An instance is told in the founding legend of my own clan, McCollum, in Scotland. The founder of the clan supposedly was exiled 1,500 years ago from Ireland because he was a hothead whom his family disowned for embroiling them in fights. In the loneliness of his exile on the North Sea, he became a man of peace. He couldn't return to Ireland, as he was no longer under protection of the law and could have been killed with impunity. So, he went instead to Scotland and founded our clan. A third point about the Zir is that there is no monopoly of police or judicial services. Anyone is free to serve in those capacities, as long as he's not at the same time a religious or political dignitary, since that would compromise the sharp separation of law, politics, and religion there. Also, anyone performing in such a role is subject to the same laws as anyone else, and more so. If he violates the law, he must pay heavier damages or fines than would apply to anyone else. Public, uh, public figures are expected to show exemplary conduct. I would, I would expect that, but we don't get that here in America. Fourth, there is no victimless crime. Well, the reason why we don't is because of the government's monopoly over its services. Mm. There is no competitive force out there. It's true. Nothing to keep them in line. They all back each other up, and there's nothing we can do about it. Fourth, and most interestingly, there is no victimless crime in Somalia. Only a victim, or remember, they're based off of property rights. Right. So only a victim could um, charge somebody with a crime. Correct. Or his family can initiate court action. Where there's no victim to call a court into being, no court can form. No court can investigate on its own initiative any evidence of alleged misconduct. There so has a to be family can intervene, like in the case of uh, child abuse or something like that. The family would be able to, to intervene if you know, a father was beating the crap out of his uh, wife or his children or sure. something like that. Exactly right. Hmm. So I mean, Sounds like a pretty workable system. Yeah, there's more here. Um, last, the court procedure is interesting. From birth, every Somali has his own judge who will sit on the court that will judge him should he transgress the law. That judge is his ode, the head of his extended family consisting of all males descended from the same great-grandfather, together with their spouses and children. Several extended families make up a jilib, which is the group responsible for paying the blood price in the event a member kills someone of another jilib or clan. The Ode or judge is chosen carefully, following weeks or months of deliberation by elders of the clan. He has no authority over the family, but is chosen solely for his knowledge of human affairs and his wisdom, and he can lose his position if his decisions aren't highly regarded in the community. So, sort of similar to the idea of uh, of an arbitrator, where you get to choose your arbitrator based on his knowledge and decisions and, and his ability to mete out justice mm. uh, in the in the marketplace, where different arbitrators are competing on the basis of honesty, where they're competing on the basis of fairness, as opposed to the government one size fits all judicial system we have today, where there is no need for competition. They don't have to compete. Uh, I'm interested in this uh, whole Somali setup as far as the government they have. I'm, I find it very interesting, and I hope that they get to take this out a little farther. And, Without and having another government imposed upon them? Yeah, by the U.N. or the right. United States or whomever. I hope so, too. And since we were talking about our lovely police, here's a quickie for you. From Miami. A North Miami sergeant and detective will be suspended for taking a $20 bottle of Moet champagne from the car of a murder victim to give to firefighters as a token of our appreciation. 
See, a crime scene technician who initially reported the bottle's disappearance was also suspended after she, too, admitted removing items from the car where Charles John Tov was found shot to death uh, last year. The firefighters have been helping remove bullets that were lodged in the Impala. Sergeant Donna Clark received a 120-hour suspension. Detective Dwight Melvin will be suspended as well. Of course, they're not actually going to get in real trouble for this. 120 but hours, three the, weeks. The crime scene technician, whose internal affairs investigators say also gave inconsistent testimony, was suspended. Quote, they're good employees who wanted to show their appreciation for the hard work of the firefighters, said the North Miami police chief. But it was wrong, and they were disciplined. I don't think this type of behavior will happen again. That's right, it's all over and done with. See, what happened was, uh, this guy was found dead, they took his car, and then, according to the press release, the champagne theft happened four days after the murder, as the firefighters helped extract bullets from the Impala, the bottle was just sitting in the back seat. So, what happened was, the cops went in there, took the bottle, and then gave it to the firefighters as a token of their appreciation. It wasn't their bottle to take, but they took it anyway, because they can usually get away with this stuff. It was the firefighters who ratted out the cops in this particular case. Mm. It has been Ian here with you. And Mark. We will see you tomorrow night. You can join us online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.